Good evening, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Wednesday the 29th of the 4th, 2020. The period we will know in time as the plague years. It's not really a terribly serious plague though, I mean it's not the Spanish flu yet. Can we just call it the plague year? Can we, can we, can we, can we try for that for the start? Rather than the plague years? I mean, it's. I'm, I'm open to it, Michael. Maybe we should put it to a vote of the. Uh... So, no, I just want to. If we are taking a vote on the plague years and the plague year, I think we need to find some way of including the virus in that because I think the virus is going to have a strong opinion about that and may indeed play a role in it. Well, I mean, whether or not we call it the plague year or the plague years is going to be based largely on debt tolls, and that's going to be how people will vote. Always the cheery, always the cheery word. One man, one vote, Michael. It can only kill you once. One man, one tombstone. I like it. Yeah, I'm glad. Although perhaps unnecessarily restrictive, some of these people are going to be cremated or turned into trees, there, eaten by wolves. There may be families, as, you know, with more than one tombstone. Only one tombstone will be necessary for many people. All this, this is a very... Ch- I haven't had my coffee yet. I don't really, I don't feel up to this. You're, I think we were going to have a look across the Atlantic this morning, Gary. We were going to have a look across the Atlantic and then a further look across the Atlantic or perhaps reverse direction. But let's let's start with that. Joe Biden, America's creepy uncle. Sleepy Joe. Joe Biden. So we'll start with the, the funny ha-ha thing about Joe Biden. And then go on to the thing related to why there are so many photos of Joe Biden smelling women. <laughs> and let me tell you, there are a lot of photos of Joe Biden smelling I'm women. I'm actually looking at one right now where he appears to be nuzzling Hillary Clinton, who's smiling cheerfully, I have to say, at, at, at it. So anyway. Hence America's creepy uncle. Joe Biden was on a town hall with Hillary Clinton. They were both doing it. Um, by Zoom or whatever generic Zoom option is available. And there's a period of it for about 15 seconds where Joe Biden just kind of puts his head down, closes his eyes, and does what many of us in a political speech have wanted to do. Seems to blissfully fall asleep. A catnap, if you will. Mm. But before that, there are a lot of periods where he kind of looks down for a second and comes back up. He just doesn't come back there. And he could be praying... He could be deep in thought. Yeah. Looks like he's asleep, though. Yeah, he looks very much like he's... And I, I deeply sympathise. It's somebody who, if a film in the cinema doesn't grip me pretty well straight away, I have a tendency to fall asleep. I will fall... I mean, I've fallen asleep while teaching classes. So I, 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 I have sympathy. You know that moment where you think, if I just close my eyes, just, just, just four seconds, I stay awake. I stay awake and then bang, you're gone. It's re- it is remarkable. I mean, we're not the first to, I'm not first to say it, but it, it bears. It is so remarkable, it bears repeating. This is the world's most powerful nation. It is vastly wealthy. Of whatever people stereotypically think about the American education system, most of it works very well. At least, I would say, 50 of the world's top 100 universities are located in the United States. There are how many? 300 million of them? 350 million of them? I can't remember. And to run the gaff, we have Donald Trump, 
who these days doesn't seem that well himself. I mean, as well as he ever was. The daily press briefings for COVID-19 that lasted two hours. Uh, terrible oh, idea. God, oh, terrible bad, idea. I mean, bad idea for any president. I mean, bad idea for Richard with Nixon, who had an IQ of like 147. But for Donald, this was always going to end badly. So you got him on one side. On the other side, you have Joe Biden. How old is Joe? Joe is old. Joe is old. Um, and the problem, like, this has been, this is part of a long theme, thing with Joe Biden. Joe Biden kind of trailing off in his sentences, forgetting what he's talking about, giving gibberish answers to questions, and not like a politician trying to avoid the question, as in, just like, Trump will often go on these kind of trains of thought, that relate kind of to the question. Yes. But you get the sense it's just something he wanted to talk about and it doesn't... Stream of consciousness kind of thing. But again, it's just what he wants to talk about and it doesn't really matter what you ask him, he's going to talk about what he wants to talk mm. about. Whereas you get the sense of Biden that he actually doesn't really know where he is. <laughs> it's kind of the... I mean, that's why people are saying that Biden's VP is going to be the person running this or Biden is going to drop out and the Democratic Party will run some sort of brokered convention and replace him at the last minute. On that, on that news breaking is that uh, New York Democratic Party has decided to cancel its primary. No, that was to be. It was going to be a coronation anyway. But the thing is, a little bit like Liverpool and the Premier League, while they're almost there, they're not quite. Biden is almost at a majority of delegates, but he's not there. And if other states were to decide for health reasons in the middle of the pandemic not to have a... Then you'll be going to the convention, and he'll be coming to the convention without a majority of the delegates. And you, now, one of the one of the news agencies in the states was suggesting that uh, there's strong word being pushed around the, the gaff, that there may be a, 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 what they, a floor candidacy when some... The notion is, you know, the popularity of a candidate rises up amongst the people and he, he, he gets nominated from the floor, and which would be Como. Do I mean Mario Como? Is it Mario? Ma- is it Mario Cuomo? Uh, no, it's Andrew. Andrew. Cuomo. Mario was his dad, wasn't it? I have no idea. Uh, I think he's a bit of a, mm, but apparently the Democrats like him. But yeah, you see, I mean, a couple of months ago, it felt like, all the comments about Biden, well, about Biden falling asleep and Biden not quite knowing where he was, was kind of Fox News, Trump stuff. But it seems to be just, it's getting towards Washington Post stage at this stage. And the Washington the Washington Post did actually report on the uh, the snooze incident, didn't it? Uh, I think it did, actually. So once it got to the Washington Post, you're, you're close. But it's the sex... But this is the news. It's not the sex stuff. Not the uh, not the smelling the ladies for some reason. That seems to be okay. What's going on there? Yeah, so I mean, the, the thing about the, the Biden candidacy is it kind of evokes pity up to this point in that it feels cruel against Joe Biden. In that, you know, it seems like someone is forcing Joe Biden to uh, run for president because he does not seem up to this himself. Uh-huh. Although I would suspect he very much wants to be president and he's just kind of coming apart on the stand. But where it kind of moves from feeling pity to Joe Biden to, okay, that's not a great look, is a woman called Tara Reid. Yeah. Now, Tara Reid worked for him about 30 years ago. 
And she says that he sexually assaulted her. Now, Biden has a reputation with women. But this is actually the first kind of public accusation of serious sexual misconduct against him. Mm -hmm. They are facing additional problems here in that Reid worked as him for a staff assistant when he was the senator for Delaware. She's a Democrat. She's not involved with the Republican Party in any way. Friends of hers and other people from the uh, the Democratic Party are saying that she told them about this when it happened, uh, which I think was 1993. Uh, so there, that that's I think an important thing because it's not there. It was being characterized as well. For God's sake, it happened. 30 years ago, and we heard nothing about it. It's all a little bit coincidental now, but she, I know, not just her, that there are others who have come forward, haven't there, to say, no, actually, when this happened, she was upset, and she told us. So her allegation is that um, she said it was um, in, I think, the halls of Congress, which is yeah, something. She said that she had gone to him to give him a gym bag, and he took the gym bag, forced her against the wall, put his hands under her shirt and skirt, and uh, digitally penetrated her. Classic. She, he then asked, do you want to go somewhere else? She pulled away, and he said, come on, man, I heard you liked me. So she has gone to the police as well. She went to the police on the 9th of April, uh, 2020. Uh, she was asked why she waited so long, and she said that the statute of limitation for her claim has already expired. So she went there because she had started to receive online threats. Because this was apparently being discussed in the background. Online threats? Now, was this by implication, well, not from him, or but from his supporters? Or from the campaign? She didn't say. Just online threats. Well, who would threaten? Well, yeah. So Biden hasn't responded. No. Well, Biden himself hasn't responded. The campaign has responded and said that it absolutely did not happen. Totally untrue. Biden firmly believes women have a right to be heard. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it'll damage Biden, though. Biden's reputation with women is already... Well, it doesn't seem to be... Well, I suppose the news is that it's not... Ha it doesn't appear to be damaging Biden with Democratic women. Uh, the question is, it does occur, Gary, that on this particular issue, the choice is between him and Donald Trump. And it has to be observed that Donald Trump has not been without allegation himself regarding his treatment of uh, women friends and employees. So it may not be, uh, you may not regard it as a simple A or B, black or white choice for, the, say, the floating voter. I would, I don't think it's getting, now of course I, I would say this, wouldn't I? I don't think it's getting the same kind of media treatment either, say, that Brett Kavanaugh got. It is not. I mean, I think the, the Irish Independent has reported on it in, um, has reported on it here. Which was interesting. I haven't seen it from anyone else. There was one other thing that I thought was interesting. There was a Larry King, the Larry King show. Yeah. Larry King would be a big American talk show host. I think he's retired now. Yes. And in 1993, the woman, uh, sorry, the, the mother of the woman who's currently uh, accusing Joe Biden of sexual assault uh, appears on one of his shows. Oh. And she's asking for advice about inappropriate behavior in Washington that she can give her daughter. Mm -hmm. And what could uh, her daughter do if something happened besides go to the press? Because her daughter is working for a prominent senator and she didn't want to go to the press out of respect for him. So, no, it doesn't mention sexual assault. No. 
But it is the year she says it happened. At the very least, it's what you'd have to call a curious coincidence. It's a lot more than was ever there with Brett Kavanaugh. Um, I, I, God knows it, it was infested over here. Absolutely infested. And even, but even in the States, I think people on the left are saying, oh, well, the right has learned from the Kavanaugh experience and now they're going to do everything exactly the same. I may be, again, biased on this. I think certainly there are, they're, they're instrumentalizing it. They're using it against Biden. And why wouldn't they? But I see lots of articles in things like the National Review and other places saying, you know, yes, it's correct that when an allegation is made that it should be investigated. But once it's been, once you find that there is no collaborating evidence, there is no substantial case to answer, well, then you should move on and say, I'm sorry, that's it. Uh, the principle of innocence, the assumption of innocence is there. And uh, this, what you, the evidence that we have doesn't come close to convicting. So I don't think it has actually. It also, I mean, okay, yes, it. It is a demonstration of the rank hypocrisy amongst women on the the, le- the demographic or the pro- the progressive left when it comes to you know believe her and women tell the truth, except when you know. But are we surprised by that, Gary? Is anybody surprised that when it, uh, it, the proverbial shoe is on the proverbial other foot, that anybody's going to behave any differently? No, not really. It's um, There are a lot of people saying that this won't harm Biden's chance for presidency because he's running against Donald Trump and that uh, that famous grab-him-by-the-pussy line. But uh, I think the important thing to remember about that line is that no one said that was non-consensual. Yes. He said, women will let you do that. Yes. Whereas uh, pushing your staffer against the uh, wall, because you've apparently said she had nice legs and digitally penetrating her without consent is a slightly different affair. Some would say substantially different, actually. I don't think in a race like this, and a story like this, by itself it's going to sink anybody. But it becomes part of a wider story. It's another element in a narrative where one of the big things about Biden, at least for the public, was that Biden was nice. He was decent Joe. He was ordinary Joe, you know? He has a tragic family history. Yes, very sad. But this kind of thing, kind of, it very much takes the sheen off the notion that he's ordinary Joe. I, I think it could actually be deeply damaging for the reason that Democrats want Trump gone with an incredible fury. Mm. And all you need to do is convince enough of them, particularly the the female Hardline Democrats, that Joe Biden is just as bad as Donald Trump, at least towards them. Yeah. And you could keep a couple of people home. You could swing things if it gets close. Now, also, this is absolutely something people are going to believe, whether or not it's true, because Joe Biden's reputation about women is not good. Um, do you remember? I think it was last year. There was a, I think it was an open letter delivered by... Um, a number of women to him. Yeah. Basically saying that he just made her feel... No one said sexual assault, but there was a lot of deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. I think... That's where we got... Sorry, I don't know. I don't think it was an open letter, but there were like half a dozen women last year. And it was like inappropriate touching, hugging, kissing, that sort of thing. Then we had us... Although this figure started to appear of creepy Uncle Joe. 
that was the, 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 the comedy figure that Biden was becoming. Your creepy Uncle Joe. And that was, you can be a lot of things, you know, if, if you're a politician running in a popularity contest, creepy is not a good one. No, but the problem now is uh, you've got a lot of people who are sort of going, believe all women. And they're going, but not that yeah, one. But not, yeah, obviously not that one. <laughs> when we said believe all women, we went women on our side who don't accuse our people of these things, uh, which is always a deeply infantilizing slogan. Yes. Believe all women. Because no woman would lie because women aren't people. No. Seems to be the sort of thing it's saying. People are higher, more moral creatures, like like Labradors or Golden Retrievers. Actually, that reminds me, I want to ask you a question, which has absolutely nothing to do with this, but it, it, except in a very tangential way. I was watching, a, I was about to watch a film last night, and it came up, and it was a Harvey, it was a Weinstein production. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to watch that anymore, or do I have to turn it off now? I mean, I would I would put it with the Nazi medical research, so, you know, use it, but don't feel great about it. Okay, okay, okay. I'm now trying to remember what the film was that I watched last, all of last night, all that time ago, and to see, did I feel good about it? I mean, that sounds like a Weinstein production. <laughs> So I don't think I felt terribly good about it. I don't think I felt terribly good about it. Moving on from uh, America, because we'll we'll see what happens with that. We will. I will be. I don't know. It's just on the Joe Biden thing. I think no one. I won't say no one. Lots of people don't expect that Joe Biden is going to be the actual person who runs for president because they look at him and just see that that couldn't happen because he is coming apart. Yeah. And yeah. But and they're like, oh no, the Democratic Party will will replace him at the last minute, and it'll all be very cloak and dagger. But it'll be for the best. Uh, I'm not sure. I believe that in the competency of the Democratic Party to that level, or the capacity. No, I think they've been or the capacity. Biden is. It may be that Biden is slowly going senile, but is also their only shot. Yeah, they won't. In which case, they have a real problem. Okay, they have a real problem. Listen, there are three. Leading candidates for the Democratic Party this time out were Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Joe Biden. How old is Elizabeth Warren off the top of your head? I can't. 74, 75? Old. They're all old. But Bernie's 79. Bernie, who was bursting out in the early stages. Bernie, the man who went, uh, one of the the papers on the polling institutes, I went out and asked the American public, what are the things that you really don't like in a candidate for the president? See, they said, well, we, we, we don't like we don't like people that are, say, over 75, really. Don't like people who have had serious health issues recently. We don't like socialists. So they had a 79-year-old socialist who had a heart attack. And he would look like he, for a while that he was going to get the nomination. That's the best the Democrats can do. Uh, this is, it's not a party that's in the, the whole of its heart. Now, maybe once this cycle is out of the way, they, they'll have a chance to jump one or two generations down to Acacia Cortez. Jesus, oh Lord, forgive me. And there are not just. Oh, she seems fun. Oh, God. It's not just Acacia Cortez. It's that, what's the other one over in Detroit? Is it Detroit? The uh, Lady of uh, Arab Heritage. Oh, yes, I cannot remember her name. And there's a group of them anyway. There's around four or five of them. The squad. And they are just abysmal. And the chances of one of them... Now, they might get the nomination. The chances of them getting close to it... Oh, 
as as badly positioned as the, the, the Republicans are supposed to be, and they've been predicting the, the demographic demise of the Republicans now for a few elections. If the Democrats don't yes, basically Joe Biden, but Joe Biden age fifty five kind of thing. Or Joan Biden age fifty five kind of thing. Someone who looks and sounds reasonably don't frighten the horses in middle America. I mean I think the chance of one of the squad getting the nomination for presidency is is, is rather slim. I would say non existent. But Gary remember, the activists in the party are far more radical than the people who vote in the general election. And that direct that they are not becoming less radical. What you end up with when it's the the party faithful voting, there's no guarantee. No, I think it's unlikely, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put me house in it. Anyway, as we said, we shall come back across the Atlantic and we shall return shortly. Mm, there is a, there is one thing I just wanted to mention. Yeah. And it's it's a report I've seen. It's not confirmed so i just wanted to mention it on this podcast so that listeners can look into it if they want because i found it absolutely hilarious so in uh the report is this that there's a place called kutan mm-hmm. and it's in china yeah it was a central graveyard for the Uyghurs, the tribe of they're muslim but it's it's more of an ethnic thing uh, that the chinese are putting into concentration camps they have about, well, work camps, I suppose you'd say. There's over a million of these people in camps. The Chinese are basically trying to crush the ethnic group. They've also all been blood tested for organ transplants, so they're also probably using them for that. But the report is that last year the Chinese government destroyed the Uyghur graveyard and a shrine in Khotan. Massive, religiously important thing, saying that it needed to be done on the basis of the needs of our city. And uh, the report now is that they finally shown what they wanted the space to be, Michael. And would you like to guess what it is? Oh, hold on. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. So it was a graveyard. It was a graveyard and a sacred site of this uh, ethnic minority. Big, big space. I mean, are we talking about something that needs a lot of space or something that doesn't need that much space? Oh, like it was, it was big. Um, it was also like it was important to push the shrine aspect. This was effectively a, um, a sacred site mm-hmm. and the only one in the city. McDonald's? Parking lot. Parking lot. They pulled down paradise to build a parking lot. Yeah. And I, I think for all that the Chinese Communist Party are terrible people, I do admire their just brazenness. Like, oh, we needed to do it. It was terribly important. Why? Well, we needed a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And then they'll just stand there looking at you going, would you like to make a comment about that? Do you have a problem with that? Do you have a problem that we did this? Yeah. Do you? No? No, you don't? You sure? Fuck off. Would they just step through this door when we can talk about your problems? But also in international affairs, because they're just like, yeah, we did it. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Well, that's that's the problem, though, isn't it? I mean, look at... They're having a problem with Australia at the moment, right? They are, yeah. They they are... They they are threatening Australia openly, Mm. that if Australia continues on its current path, that there will be economic consequences... At the current st- side of things, they're talking mostly about uh, citizen-led boycotts that they would encourage. Citizen-led boycotts, yeah. That they would encourage, mm. yeah. I was the mm. ambassador, the Chinese ambassador to um, Australia, Cheng Jing. Um, you know, the ordinary people may ask, why buy Australian wine? Why buy Australian goods? Yes, and I'm sure the uh, the Chinese government wouldn't help in any way with the answer to that. Yes, will, I wonder, Gary, will the, will the Chinese government say... Why buy Australian 
rare earth elements. Probably won't go that far. That's 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 not a question the Chinese government would like people to ask. They buy Australian uranium or aluminium. So what what's happened here is that Scott Morrison's government. Scott Morrison is the prime minister. He's the head of Australia's federal government because Australia is a federalized system. Morrison has been pushing this plan to fix the World Health Organization, and it's a three part plan. But part of that would involve an investigation of the origin and spread of the COVID-19 outbreak and a very detailed look into why the WHO made certain recommendations. That seems unnecessarily nosy. I mean, listen, the thing happened. You, you can blame people. What's the use in blaming people, you know? I mean, that's that's exactly China's point, that this but would... So the phrase point. was disrupt international cooperation in fighting the pandemic. Absolutely. And it would work against the broader fraternal goodwill of global humanity. Particularly because it's been openly discussed that an investigation into the decisions made by the WHO would also effectively be an investigation into China's influence on the WHO and what exactly happened in those early days. I mean, some people use the C word as in China's corrupting influence on WHO. Well, we couldn't possibly comment on that. So it's um, Australia and China are going through rather a uh, a tiff at this point, which is actually quite interesting because Australia's economy and China's economy are deeply intertwined. China actually does have a quite a significant amount of leverage here if it really wants to. Just in the context, we should mention a couple of things about what happened during the actual, in the lead up and to this. Uh, first of all, the Chinese were fairly, or the Australians rather, were pretty quick out of the traps to impose uh, travel restrictions on people coming in from China, which the Chinese uh, described as racist. And which the universities also very heavily tried to push back against because Foreign uh, students, particularly Chinese students, are a big part of um, what funds those universities. Yeah, if, if foreign fees are a fra- foreign fees are multiples of what oh, you yeah. get for a domestic student, and then you also have the the direct investment from Chinese companies, yeah. which tend to be strongly linked to the state and the uh, Chinese government itself through Confucius Institutes and things like that. And there was the argument made in Australia, that the Chinese government had been lobbying the universities to lobby the Australian um, government but to let those students in and to bring down the travel restrictions. Something that really pissed off the Australians, not just at the governmental level, but I think as a people was the fact that you had the... The Chinese have fairly large agricultural holdings in Australia, I think. Amongst others. I'm not sure about I'm not sure about agricultural holdings. They have a lot of their large property firms are there, though. But anyway, they they have they've they've they they're certainly they have an industrial presence. They have property holdings. Oh, massive! And they use their local agents, shall I say, to buy up very large amounts of PPE and ship them out of Australia back to China. Oh, hundreds of tons. Of PPE, yeah, and that really didn't go down well because there was a feeling that that was it was like it was being smuggled out. It was being well, bought under the pretense of being to, going to be used for the, the protection of employees and personnel in Australia. Yeah, and then the companies, yeah, there was there was a legal question there where originally it was assumed to all be legal, but then the Australian government started going, 
hold on, that's not your business purpose. Yeah. Yeah, and it, apparently that was that was part of a worldwide push by Chinese firms to bring PPE back to China. Now, this would have been kind of late February, that kind of area. Yes. We're talking hundreds of tons just from Australia alone. Mm-hmm. They didn't try and hide it as such. They didn't talk about it publicly, but they mentioned it in internal company emails and also on their um, public profiles on things like Weibo, like the Chinese social media network. Um, so didn't really try and hide it, but also didn't really post it anywhere that someone like a journalist might see it unless you were following these guys on the Chinese language platform, which you need a Chinese phone number to use. Although I did have to buy an account on it and it wasn't that expensive. Nope. All of this brings us to where we are, where the Chinese are basically saying to the Australians, mind yourselves, settle down, shut up and stop this nonsense with the WHO, or else we're going to punish you economically. Now, and this is the point. China does this. Listen, China is certainly not the first country to use economic power to try and get its way diplomatically or politically. Back in the 80s, Japan was trolling around the United States, buying up things, and every time somebody mentioned that they didn't think it was a strategically positive thing to do, the PR, Japanese PR companies were shot, racism, racism, the Japanese had invested heavily in also in the universities and different things. Like that. So, yeah, there are parallels. And the United States has done it and the Brits have done it, the French have done it. And if we ever had money, I'm sure we would do it too. Well, we, we have, they, all of those countries did it. I think the difference generally with the Chinese is that it tends to be quite centralized and they are very aggressive in it. Yeah, and the point is here, if they get away with this against Australia, and they keep getting away with it regarding other countries, that we're teaching them a very, very, very bad lesson. They are economically very powerful. There's no doubt about that. But their their economy is massively export driven. It's not it has not transferred, as the economists like to say, to a domestic consumption model. They need us to buy their shit. And that means that if we want to get serious with the Chinese, then we can. We can say, well, I'm sorry, we're not going to buy your shit. No, we don't want to get into a trade war, Gary. Nobody wants a trade war. You know, we've had the, we, you know, we're having the pandemic. We don't want smooth hauling. We don't want tariffs and trade wars and barriers and currency wars and a repeat of the 1930s. That it would be a bad idea. No, but at the same time, there is the question there of how can there be free trade when you're trading with someone who isn't free? And not only isn't free, has no interest in being free. But I was I was particularly interested to see Australia do this, because China is 26% of Australia's total trade. So it's worth over $200 billion to them a year. But it's the single biggest market for their coal, their iron, yeah. their beef, their tourism, and their wine. So oftentimes people won't do anything against China because they're, the economic hit would just be substantial. Of course. But Australia, who is far more tied to China than most other countries, largely, well, not partially due to policy choices, but also partially just due to geographic positioning, seems willing to pick this fight, whereas the Irish government wouldn't. God, no. And no. China is not 26% of our trade. No. So, and I think they deserve a little bit of support there. I think it would be a good thing to back them. And, you know, it doesn't have to be. It degenerated any kind. It simply has to be a number of large, 
powerful nation saying explicitly to China, the Australians are going to advocate for this plan. We think it's a good plan. And it will not have economic consequences for them because if it does, it will be, there will be economic consequences for you. Mm, I mean, the, the head of the, um, I think it was the Global Times. The Global Times is, um, is a tabloid in China. It's, it's under the control of the Chinese Communist Party, but it's, it's fairly aggressive. It is the things that the regime wants to say cannot say them itself or things that it wants to put out so that the regime when it doesn't take that position can seem very moderate yeah but they the editor of the global times came out and said that australia is uh akin to chewing gum stuck on the bottom of china's shoe that's a snapshot isn't it and that uh after this we would have to reconsider china would have to reconsider its ties towards um Australia, and that there would be economic harm done by that. The Australian government had come out and said that we're not going to respond to economic coercion. Yeah. Which this obviously is. And the editor said, well, let me give you an example of a little bit of coercion. And then said, these things will happen. And these will hurt your economy. So they're going, they're going hard. It's, the Global Times is always a bit of an awkward one to talk about because it's under the control of the Chinese Communist Party's, um, I think, through the People's Daily newspaper. And in China, it's very hard to tell what is state-controlled and what is not state-controlled. Yeah. Because they all have links to it. It's just a question of how strongly they are. The Global Times is very much involved with the um, the Chinese Communist Party, though. Yeah, no doubt. It's actually very interesting to read. Uh, I do recommend it. You can get it in English at globaltimes.cn or you can get it in simplified um, Chinese. And they are quite different. We just put it that way. Okay. Well, I think that's... Uh, I think I mean, that's an interesting and important story that is going to be pretty much part of the narrative for, uh, shall we say, global geopolitics. After this mm. crisis has passed, I think there's going to have to be some kind of a sit-down and reckoning with China. As I say, I think, for my top ones, were like, I, I, nobody wants a trade war. Nobody wants that kind of... Sort of thing. I mean, if there had to be a trade war, you will get it all out of the way at once after you've wrecked the world's economy. Yeah, but it's a sit-down and now, lads, I know you've been around and you've been doing cool cultural shit for 4,000 years, and I know you think you are the... DBs when it comes to pretty well everything, but you're not quite the world number one global superpower yet. And until you are, you don't get to behave like this. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of Confucian humility might be uh, inculcated. A little bit of Buddhist de- uh, detachment. Until that happens, I don't know about you, dear leader. I'm going to. Go straight online and pick up my uh, my simplified Chinese version because my Chinese, unfortunately, is not that great. Of the uh, of the daily news and see what's happening in the world. It's raining here. It's miserable. So I don't know. Maybe a, a morning with a cup of coffee and reading a Chinese newspaper might be a nice way to sp- to pass a couple of hours. Yes, I, I strongly recommend actually reading some Chinese newspapers because they are. Um 
they're interesting in, in the ways they're familiar and they're interesting in the ways they're different. Mm. And it's, uh, that's, that's always kind of a weird thing when something which is apparently very familiar and then you hit it and there's something just fundamentally odd and foreign about it. But it can be, that's really, it can be a very enlightening moment. I'm actually just on the Global Times now and there's an article on Australia and the image is, you know, like a, the aftermath of a stamp. Uh huh. And all it says is racism. Ah, yeah, racism. But they they figured out this works in the West if you call things racist. Well, it, it worked. But I mean, if you look, China is an incredibly racist country. And all- they just don't like black people at all, uh, which is a big problem for them in Africa. But it's now a big problem for them in China because they're starting to refuse black people entry to things because black people are... Um, yeah, just, uh, I'm actually not going to make any comment on this because I know if I do, someone will clip that sentence out on its own. China has a lot, the Chinese are mad, not that mad on what, what you might call white people or Europeans. They are, uh, they have a, a long, strong, shall we say, chauvinistic and exceptionalist view of the world. Anyway, well, I suppose Gary will, uh, let the, Reader back into the world. We shall be back when? When shall we be back, Gary? We will be back Friday, Michael. Back Friday, so soon. So until then, I'd say to the reader, what else have you got to do? <laughs> so much, so much, so much not being done. Uh, have a good rest of the week. Mind yourselves, keep safe, keep cheerful, and goodbye. All the best.